an excellent day for an exorcism. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here. Hey there everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Horror Crypt Podcast, episode number 92. And I seriously cannot believe that after all these episodes, I have not done this movie. Now, the next, you know, say three or four weeks, there's going to be like a back-to-back sort of movies, but they're going to be like the original and the remake. So this one, as I said, is absolutely amazing that I, I really thought that I had already done this before, but nope, I haven't. So we are going to be doing this week, the one and only Poltergeist from 1982. Now, I absolutely love this movie. Um, it's not one of my movies that I would actually go to all continuously and you know, just watch it over and over again. But I'm telling you, the premise of this movie, the way they actually had done it, um, the way they actually had structured the movie, there was not one part of the, the movie that I sat there and went, come on, can we get this moving? You don't sit there and say, okay, so this is happening and this is but it's taking such a long time. It's it's like a roller coaster ride. And I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast has actually seen this movie. So next week, I'm going to be doing the remake of Poltergeist. I think that was in 2019. Now, I did see the remake, and I have mixed feelings about that. I am not as fond of the remake as the original. There's been a couple of remakes of movies that I've sat there and gone, okay, yep, I'll, I'll go with that. Now, one of the best remakes that I have seen in a long time was the remake of Evil Dead. And I'm sure anyone that's actually seen that movie would, would actually agree with me. It was very well done. The story moved along really, really well. And the gore factor was 100%. Now, I did actually look to see about the trivia and the goofs. And there are so many goofs in this movie. The continuity errors, just the goofs in, you know, in the whole movie. I was actually really surprised I went on to IMDb and I'm like, well, okay, I'm not going to talk about any of the goofs because if you want to look at it, please, by all means, go on to IMDb and have a look around and just see all the goofs that they've got for this movie. But in saying that, I still believe that this is such a great movie and I do really enjoy seeing this movie. Now, before we get started on this podcast, remember I've got the Facebook group. Horrorcrypt Cafe, you can come and uh, join us there. It's a great or it's a great social page that you can come to and just give us ideas and talk, and we can we can get to know each other. And you can give us ideas about what movies you would like to have us review, or what movies you suggest we should see. Or so you know, as I said, please come and join us at the Horrorcrypt Cafe in the uh, the Facebook group. It's well worth coming to hang out. We've also got uh, our direct message Horrorcrypt2022 at gmail.com although I'm sure uh, that is now obsolete because now it's 2023, but it's still going to keep going as Horrorcrypt 2022 until I can get a more permanent email that will be across the board for everything. But, uh, you know, and you can also you know, just direct message me there if you want to have a bit of a conversation, if you want me to you know, maybe do a movie that you'd like me to review. And remember, we've also got baseball caps, we've got T-shirts, and we've got beanies, all at very reasonable prices. So if you want to look very cool in the neighbourhood, then please get in contact with me and I can set you up with either a t-shirt, a baseball cap or a beanie. But look, before we get started on any podcast, we love to listen to the trailer. So sit back and relax because here is the trailer for the 1982 movie, Poltergeist. The house looks just like the one next to it. And the one next to that. And the one next to that. A young couple live in it. Give Ken a kiss. <laughs> you are so alive. With their three children. 
So this movie was released on June 4th, 1982. The running time for this movie is 114 minutes. The budget for the movie was $10.7 million, but it absolutely blew that out of the water with a box office total of $121.7 million. And I tell you, I can understand why, because the special effects in this movie is is really something to behold. There were some practical effects, like the guy in the bathroom that suddenly has his face starting to be, you know, ripped apart. I think the, the practical effects on that one was a little bit hard to swallow because I guess because now we're so focused on CGI and making it look really authentic. I think back in 82, that's as authentic as they could get. But um, that was one of the practical effects that I'd sit there and go, yeah, you know, I'm not really 100% sure on that one. But, you know, I'm going to go with it because it's 1982 and this was cutting edge, te cutting edge technology. Now, as we know, there are some very upsetting things about this movie with regards to the death of a couple of the uh, actresses in this movie. And we'll get to that in, the, in, our, uh, in our fun facts. But one of the things that I wanted to point out as one of the goofs that I found very interesting to read, and I didn't actually think about this myself, was that many viewers have pointed out that the that only one of the houses in the neighbourhood is affected by ghosts, even though the whole neighbourhood and many of the other houses were built on the same ground. So I thought, okay, we're reading this. I had, I had to read a little bit further. However, there are two sections of the movie that explains this discrepancy. One in which Stephen tells a prospective buyer that his family was one of the first to move into their neighbourhood, and the other in which Steve... Tells, uh, mentions to his boss that Carol Ann was born in the house. The novelization makes the connection more explicit because Carol Ann was born in the burial ground. The spirits gravitated towards the Freeling's household, attracted by her life force. So now I understand completely when why this was happening to them. 
you know, in such a way because, yeah, she was she was born in that house on the ground and that's what they were attracted to. So that makes a little bit more... Um, a little bit more sense. One of the fun trivia little facts before we really get into this movie is that Heather O'Rourke um, kept the goldfish, the pet goldfish, that Carol, ha Carol Ann has in the film. And I thought that was really quite good. I, I really like that one. But uh, yeah, that's a couple of little things that, that we actually... Uh, but as I said, we're going to go through and uh, we'll t talk more about what happened with the other actresses. So the movie opens up where we see a beautiful um, place called Cuesta Verde in California. Now it's a typical suburban neighborhood and you've got um, this poor guy and he's riding a, a, well, a BMX bike with a whole lot of beer in his hand. And I find this interesting that um, did you lose your license because you were drink driving or you just decided that, you know what, it's not too far away. I won't use my car. I'll just grab my son's bike. Uh, a BMX and ride it over there. But anyway, he was riding over with a whole lot of beer and these two little shits that have got these remote control cars happened to see him ride past and they hightail it behind him with the remote, remote control cars and cross each other in front of his uh, in front of his front wheels, causing him to fall off. And of course, he dropped some of the beer. Now, my idea is, okay, he had like, I'm, I don't know, let's go with say, let's say a 20 pack of beer. He only picked up maybe five or seven of the beers, maybe five. He's left the rest there. Now, it's a free-for-all for everyone to grab some beers. I mean, nobody grabs any more. He doesn't go, go back and pick them up, and he's racing towards the house. So I'm thinking, well, okay, so are you just leaving it there? And because he, he runs into the, the kitchen because um, he's trying to get into the front of the house, but of course the front door is locked. So he goes around the back door, and we see this little this young girl. We don't know who she is right now, but we're guessing that is that's a... Um, uh, one of the residents, and the beer is squirting everywhere, all over the place. And she's like, Jesus Christ. And he runs in and we find that he's racing into the living room where a whole lot of guys are sitting there watching a football game. And as we're, as we're going to watch the football game, suddenly from what we're watching as a football game, we turn and we see that it's Mr. Rogers. Why did the TV suddenly turn to the channel of Mr. Rogers when this the owner hasn't touched the remote control? Well, let's find out. Who the hell is this guy? Hey, what the hell is going on? Hi, Ben. We got a good football game going on here. My kids want to watch Mr. Wright. No, I don't care what you're watching, Ben. Just show a little mercy with that thing. Come on, Steve! Move your set. Move yours, Ben. Now, have any of you seen the movie Grumpy Old Men? Now, I'm believing that that scene that they actually have in that movie is from this movie because in, in the movie Grumpy Old Men, you've got these two guys are living side by side of each other, but the other guy's got the same remote control. So really, you know, when the guy, the other guy is watching TV, one of them is changing the channel on him. So I think that that scene in that movie was directly from this movie. But uh, we also see that there's a, a lady, uh, obviously it's going to be the mother, so we're actually introduced to... Steve, which is the father. We also find that Diane is the mother, and they have three children, Dana, 
Robbie and Carol Ann. But of course, we're just we don't we don't know the the names of them yet, but we're just being slowly introduced um, to them. And we find that this is you know this is not a school day. This is a Saturday, and one of the children's pets, a little bird, has passed away. So Mum decides to try to flush it down the toilet, and of course, a little five year old comes in to see Mum with you know hanging the bird over the toilet, ready to flush it, and so she decides that she wants to basically have a um a bit of a, a ceremony and a, a burial <laughs> so we decide that we're going to go and we're going to put the little bird into a, a cigar box with a photograph with a bit of a stick of licorice um, and a cover and a rose and we're going to bury him in the backyard and uh, we also see that there is a young boy by the name of Robbie and he's decided to climb up a very oh, very disgusting looking tree in the backyard and he's watching a storm coming in over the over the horizon and of course as the the ceremony is going on and the little five-year-old little girl by the name of Carol Ann is saying a few words over the her you know dead um, canary the other young woman or the other young girl by the name of Dana is like oh what the hell really I've got to sit and listen to this and of course Robbie's like hey when mum when it when it decomposes can we dig it up and look at the bones it's like oh really seriously but uh at the end of the ceremony, you know, there's Carol Ann going, can I get a goldfish now? And it's really interesting how quickly children can go from mourning to straight into, oh, I'll get another pet. So we see that, that uh, mum has gone down or the dad has gone down and bought her a goldfish. And that was the goldfish that I was talking about that uh, Heather O'Rourke managed to um, have from the movie. Now, I should have actually mentioned, and I think I skipped over the beginning of the movie where we're seeing that there was uh, the, the gentleman obviously by the name of Steve we know of right now who had fallen asleep in front of the television set down in the living room and we're watching a, a dog that we find out his name's E-Buzz and he's wandering around of a night time going through everyone's bedroom picking up uh, loose bits of food that's been thrown onto the ground and then it was at that stage that Carol Ann then woke up and went downstairs and started to talk to the TV saying that, hello, hello, you know, I, I can't hear you talk up and managed to wake up the entire house. And she was you know, right in front of the TV saying, yeah, fine, five. And we don't know what she's actually answering to. And of course, everyone just is sitting there rather perplexed and wondering what the hell this young girl or this little girl was talking about. So then we move on to that scene where we've got the the um, the football scene. But of course, now we're now having Steve and his wife, Diane, in their bedroom and they're really just talking about, well, Diane's talking about, you know, sleeping synopsis as far as, you know, the sleepwalking that Caroline's been doing and, you know, what she's, you know, all last week there's been strange things going on and she's thinking that maybe it might be genetic and, of course, they're talking and, of course, as they're doing it, you know, there is um, uh, Diane getting stoned. <laughs> Which of course you do. You got a family. You got a, you know your kids in the house. Why not get stoned while you're in your bedroom? And then it comes to the realization that we're going to be digging a pool into the backyard. And what happens if Caroline sleepwalks and falls out of you know falls into the pool? And he's and of course Steve's like, hang on a minute. Well, you know, have you ever dove off of like a three meter you know springboard into the water? It's like eating concrete. The kid wouldn't be able to. It would she'd wake up immediately. And she's like, yeah, but, you know, it's being built too close to the house. And it's like, you know, it's all fine. It's all good, you know. And, of course, we also see that Robbie, who is the youngest uh, of the, or not the second youngest, I should say, he's very taken with the tree that happens to be in the backyard and really gets very spooked about the fact that it's there. And he decides that he wants to go into his mother and father's bedroom to say, listen, I really don't want to sleep in my room anymore. But this is something that I found really interesting with the movie is that with all the kids that they've got in the house, 
Dana's got her own bedroom. Mum and Dad have got theirs. Why is Carol Ann and Robbie sharing a bedroom? I mean, if the house is being built for your family and you know that you may have a th- I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe they just have had Dana and Robbie and then they got pregnant with Carol Ann and they went, shit, we've only got two bedrooms for the kids. One's got to have to share. I mean, that may be the case, but I, I would think that maybe... In 1982, you'd have three-bedroom homes. I mean, I remember my mother and father um, building a house. It was three bedrooms for myself, my sister, and for my mum and dad. So why wouldn't they build a three-bedroom home? One of the weird things I come think about, you know. Anyway, so we're basically talking about what's going, you know, about the fact that Robbie doesn't want to be in the bedroom at all. And he comes into his mother and father's bedroom. And I think this is an idea of like, yep, yeah, no, we're not going to be doing this. We're going to send you back to your own bedroom. But of course, Dad goes with um, Robbie just to give him reassurance because there is a storm coming and with the lightning and the, and the thunder, the kids are a little bit, you know, not very happy about being in their, their bedrooms. Although, as I said, Robbie is with his sister, so they could talk to each other, I guess, and say, you know, whatever. But in this scene, we're seeing that Robbie is being taken back to the bedroom with his dad. I don't like the tree, Dad. This is an old tree. It's been around here a long time. Hey, it was here before my company built the neighborhood. I don't like it so much. Because I believe in it, He knows everything about us, Rob. That's why I built a house next to it, so it could protect us. You and, and Carol Ann and Dana and your mom and me. It's a very wise old tree. It looks at me. It knows I live here. You know, I think the storm's going to pass us. How do you know? Because I can count. You know what you do? When you see the lightning, you count until you hear the thunder. If you can count higher each time, that means the storm's moving away from us. Want to try it? Okay. Get some light. Way it's coming. Wow. Okay. Okay. One. One. Two. two. Three. Okay, but I bet you next time you're going to be able to count to at least four or five. That's Daddy, it's for you. Now you tell him to take a message, sweet pea. I don't want to take a message. Of course, you think that's it. You know, the kids are in their bedroom. That's all, all good. There's going to be no dramas whatsoever tonight. Yeah, that doesn't actually work because in the next scene we see the entire family in the double bed sleeping with each other. So other than Dana, it's, you know... Uh, mum, dad, and the two kids. And of course, it's at this stage that once again, Caroline wakes up and goes towards the TV. And I don't know how, I mean, I don't, I just don't fall asleep watching the TV. I know that if I'm watching TV and I start to feel myself falling off to sleep, I press the button, I turn it off and I go to sleep. But uh, this entire family falls asleep in front of the TV. And of course, we have the the last part of the, the you know TV transmission, which is the American Anthem. And uh, of course, then we see there's all the static going on and Caroline wakes up and goes to the TV and puts his, her hands against the TV and you can hear the electricity crackling on her hands and then she moves over like a little bit back from the TV and then you suddenly see like a like it's almost like an explosion of like not an explosion let's let's say it's it looks like it's, it's some hands that are coming creeping out of the TV and they then shoot towards the wall and it seems to be they've opened up like this portal and of course there's a whole lot of shaking going on and everything and the freelings they all wake up and and, and of course Caroline is looking at them and basically announces they're here 
So I was like, okay, <laughs> we don't know what is here, but something's here. The next morning, we're actually at the breakfast table, and uh, a drinking glass inexplic- inexplicably breaks at breakfast. It just because they because the you know Dana's trying to rush through to get her homework done. Caroline's having breakfast with her brother, and they're all just sitting around. They're arguing and you know throwing food and this and that. And of course, you know the mother is like, you know, when ask Caroline, you know, when you said that. The, the someone was here who was here and she's like tv people and she's like oh tv people and she doesn't really go any further with the conversation because robbie's holding a glass of milk and then suddenly bang after she says you know tv people the the, sh- the glass shatters and goes all over the place and <laughs> over dana's homework and she's like oh great i'm gonna be in class in 20 minutes well You've got to be a class at 20 minutes and you're sitting there having a leisurely breakfast. And this is also the scene where we see that Dana is sexually harassed by the new builders that are digging the swimming pool. Now, the mother just basically watches uh, Dana leaving for school under the bi- you know, under her bike and the, this, the building contractors are all really wolf whistling her and really getting into, you know, sexually harassing her. She ends up by throwing up the middle finger at, at, uh, at the builders. But I love the fact that mum is watching the whole thing and she giggles about the whole thing going, oh, that's marvellous, you know. My daughter's being sexually harassed in my own house, but ah, what a hell. It's all good. It's all, it's all fun. So, of course, we also see that Caroline has now moved into the front of, uh, in, in the kitchen in front of a little portable TV set, and she is watching the static. And of course, this is the mother decides, oh, sweetheart, you're going to hurt your eyes. So turns it over to like a wartime movie that's going on. And uh, Caroline has not moved at all. And uh, of course, um, Diane comes back out, and she sees all the chairs that have been pushed away from the table. And she's like, oh, for God's sakes, you kids. So puts all the, the, um, the chairs back together, and goes to get some some cleaning products and then turns around. Now, Caroline, once again, hasn't moved. And we see that all the chairs are stacked in some real weird configuration on the table. And this is when um, Diane says to Caroline, TV people. And she's like, uh-huh. And, of course, Diane goes, do you see them? And she says, uh-uh. And then she says to her mother, do you? And she's like, nope, <laughs> I don't see them either. So, really, you can see that there are some really strange things that are starting to happen. But, you know, the ghosts are playing harmless tricks to amuse the mother, including moving and stacking, as I said, kitchen table, a table and chairs, and just doing harmless stuff that really, when you think to yourself that if, if there was a haunting in your house, it always starts small, and you think to yourself, oh, this is really cool, this is all happening, really cool does happen to turn very deadly very, very quickly. But I guess at this moment, Diane is thinking, oh, this is all a bit of fun. And she does um, see, like, she's in the in the kitchen and her husband comes home from work and she runs out to greet the husband. She's like, come on, quick, quick, you've got to come in before it stops. And he comes in and they go into the kitchen and she says to him, now, just take off your sunglasses. Now, just think back into our past when you had an open mind. And he's like, okay. Now, she's painted, or it's not she's painted, maybe it's chalked. A circle at one end and a circle at the other end. And she puts a chair in one in one of the circles and she says, now just watch. And the chair, the chair begins to move and then slides all the way to the other other circle. And of course, you know, the, the mother, Diane, she's just absolutely ecstatic about this and jumps up and down and, yeah, this is awesome. And of course, then poor old Carol Ann walks into the kitchen and says, oh, you know, I'm hungry. And she goes, oh, we'll, we'll get pizza, you know. And she's like, oh, I want pepperoni. And of course, this is when she says to, to Carol Ann, now just sit here in, in the chair and sorry, in just on the ground. And the, she says to the husband now, 
you know, go to the other end where the circle is and just wait there. And of course, this thing slides Caroline all the way to her father. And of course, Caroline gets up and goes, oh, that hurt. And she's like, oh, yeah, sorry, I got to put more wax on the floor. And it's really, you know, the, the husband is like, uh, I don't understand this. And Diane tries to explain that it's if, when you're sitting there, it's almost like all the air leaves. Then you feel some tickling in your stomach and then you just pulled directly you know the other side so it's really it's now it's becoming it's a game it's a fun game for everyone to you know get involved with but as we see as the movie goes along the fun and games should you know end very very quickly so the next scene we see we're now in the middle of another thunderstorm and it seems to be that just thunderstorms are centered right over the the, the house and uh, Robbie is once again in his room and he's counting, you know, the thunder. Uh, sorry, the lightning happens and he, he counts to see the thunder. And it's getting closer and closer. And of course, as it's getting closer and closer, we suddenly see that the tree that Robbie has been saying that he hates, loathes and despises out the front of, out the, uh, front of his bedroom window comes to life and grabs him and pulls him out, out of the window. It's at this stage that uh, Diane and Steve comes in to see Robbie being ripped out of the bedroom and they race over to try and save him. Um... We also see that all of a sudden, Carol Ann's bedroom closet suddenly is illuminated with a whole lot of, of light and everything's going going on in that room. Everyone's so focused on Robbie, which I understand. Everyone's trying to get a hold of Robbie. But of course, we see that it might have been a tornado that came through and just grazed the house. So you've got Steve, you've got Diane, you've got Dana. You've now got Robbie being rescued from the tree, but nobody has actually figured out where the hell Carol Ann is. And then it's, then, you know, Diane suddenly goes, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> Carol Ann's still up there. So they race up to try and find her. Now, at this stage, we've seen that uh, Carol Ann has been sucked into her bedroom closet with the, with parts of the bed and with dresses and tables and stuff. So all the, the this whole thing that's going on in that bedroom closet. So uh, Diane runs through and comes in with Steve and they're trying to find where Caroline is. And they're, they're going through the, the closet and they see what it looks to be a person laying against a wall with a cover over them. And of course they pull the cover down and it's this very eerie and creepy clown that's been harassing poor old Robbie. Robbie doesn't like the look of this clown and why the hell would you have it sitting on a chair looking directly at you, to be honest with you? I would have thrown that bloody clown into a into the closet and just left it in there. So I've thought so of course they're trying to find out where the hell Carol Ann is. And Robbie is walking around in a daze because you've just been almost you know, sucked out by a tree. And he is sitting next to a TV, next to the TV set that's once again in the middle of static. And he hears uh, Carol Ann calling for her mother through the TV set. And of course, this is when um, Diane comes through and, and, you know, Robbie is losing his shit. And as much as I, I, I want to bitch slap this kid because he is just so annoying. I mean, I understand you've gone through a traumatic episode of being attacked by a tree, but seriously, I mean, <laughs> give me a break. But anyway, this kid is, you know, really losing his shit, and mum's like, what, 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 you know, calm down, what, what, what is going on? And of course, this is when she hears Caroline's voice, and she's like, oh, oh, thank God, Caroline's safe, but, you know, where the hell is she? And of course, we don't know where she is. The entire family run around the house trying to find her, and then suddenly, Diane comes up with, oh my God, she's in the swimming pool. Well, we dive into the swimming pool to try and find her. She's not there. You know, Steve's trying to find her. She's not there. They go back into the house trying to... They're looking everywhere. And, of course, once again, Robbie is still next to the TV. And he hears Caroline's voice again and freaks out. And this is when Diane comes in and looks towards the TV set and hears Caroline's voice again. So now we're understanding that Caroline has disappeared, but she's somewhere in this house. So Steve 
you know, very traumatized. And I, and I say, okay, so this is something that I find interesting with this movie. He goes to meet a group, a small group of parapsychologists. Now, why would you go to meet parapsychologists? Would you go to the police? I mean, he does say he doesn't, he hasn't even gone to the police, but he doesn't know what's going on. The trees attacked <laughs> poor old Robbie, um, which could have been a tornado, because as Dana says, we it must have been a, it was a tornado. It just scraped the house. Um, okay, your daughter has disappeared, but you've looked through the house. You know, it could have been an intruder. It could have been any anything that's going on. Why would you suddenly go to a group of parapsychologists? But anyway, Steve does go there, and he really wants to help uh, get some help from um, three people, Dr. Lesh, Ryan, and Marty. Now, we'll find out Marty's story, and I understand why Marty was targeted, because he is a dick. But anyway, Steve is sitting there, and he wants to have a conversation with these parapsychologists as to he needs help. <laughs> What members of the household are involved? And what are their ages? Uh, there's Diane, my wife. She's uh, 31. Or 32. I'm sorry. And uh, my oldest daughter, Dana, she's 16. My son, Robert, is 8. Caroline. Hmm. Caroline, 5. Has there been any publicity about these events? No, absolutely nothing. Can you be reasonably sure of not letting any get started? It's the last thing in the world we want. And we haven't even gone to the police. Hmm. Would your family welcome a serious investigation of these disturbances by someone who can make first-hand observations? Dr. Lewis, we don't care about the disturbance. The pounding and the flash. The screaming. So really, at this stage, you can see that Steve is really starting to break down. I mean, he is—he's looking utterly dishevelled. He's obviously he hasn't slept for ages. Um, now we don't know the duration of everything that's going on here, so we can only assume that maybe this has been going on for a couple of weeks or maybe even a couple of days. We're not really sure, but we do see that uh, Doctor Lesh and Ryan and Marty do arrive in the house, and and you know Steve is there to to basically you know, bring them through the house and to show them exactly where these things, these occurrences are, are happening. And, you know, there's Robbie and he's often in one of the rooms and he's just playing. But as, of course, as soon as his dad walks in, he makes a beeline for his father. But, you know, there's there's Ryan and uh, Dr. Lesh and Marty and they're, they're talking about, you know, what they've actually already experienced in haunted houses. Uh, well, I guess I should warn you that... Uh... We keep the room locked uh, up in the rest of the house. Um, <laughs> Robbie's sleeping with us now. And uh, Dana, well, she spends a lot of time with friends. Well, how many disturbances have you recorded in the room? We don't go in the room anymore. Mr. Freeling, we'll record any psychotronic energy or event. Yes, Ryan photographed an extraordinary episode on a case in Redlands. That's right. It was a child's toy, a very small matchbox vehicle, just rolled seven feet across a linoleum surface. The duration of the event was seven hours. Seven hours for what? For the vehicle to complete the distance. Of course, this would never register on the naked eye, but I have it recorded on time-lapse camera. It's fantastic. 
So of course after everything that they see in this room and there's a lot of special effects that aren't really good they doesn't really hold up now in uh, 2022 but back in 82 I guess it did hold up but it was some of the practical effects in this this shot was a little bit mm, yeah it's not really holding up but uh, <laughs> over coffee uh, they and of course you know there's poor old Dr. Lesh and she is her hands are shaking and she's trying to hold the coffee cup and you can see her going oh for the love of god just stop shaking and uh so they're saying you know the, the family is saying you know well you know about the fact that it's haunted and she's she's like well it's really it's really hard to determine if your house is haunted and then suddenly the, the coffee urn goes from one side of the table to the other side of the table and she's like um okay well <clears throat> what i meant to say was it's very hard to determine these things whether it's either a poltergeist or a haunting and as as they say to, to the family poltergeist is basically it's it's surrounding a person where a haunt whereas a haunting is at a, at a place so you know you can have a haunted house that you think is just located in the house but it actually is uh directed towards a person which is a poltergeist now my family's history and i'll get into this at a very very later date um i grew up in a house which was um haunted but we found out that it was not haunted just in the house it was directed towards a person and i've had i've got first-hand experience on this and i have first-hand experience and knowledge and experiences with what i had gone through so believe me when i'm saying that these things are not as fun as what you think it is not as fun as what you think so the group witnesses several paranormal episodes where they hear Caroline talking to Diane through the TV. Now, I don't know if you guys remember Eddie Murphy when he did the movie um, Delirious, but he had an interesting little take on uh, on this movie Poltergeist. I'm watching, I was watching Poltergeist last month. I got a question. Why don't white people just leave the house when there's a ghost in the house? Y'all stay in the house too fucking long. Get the fuck out of the house. Very simple. It's a ghost in the house. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and not only did they stay in the motherfucking house and pull the guys, they invited more white people over. <laughs> Sitting around going, our daughter Carol Ann's on the television set. I would have been gone. If I had a daughter been down the precinct saying, look, man, uh, I went home and my fucking daughter's on the TV set and shit, so I just fucking left. You can have all that shit. I ain't going to back back to the motherfucker. No, I just came down, so when she ain't up at school, you th don't think I killed the bitch or nothing like that. But she is inside the TV set. You can have all that shit. Fuck it. Uh, Mr. Murphy, didn't you try to save your daughter? Yeah, I'm a man. And she, I tried to save. I turned the channel. The shit didn't work. I got the fuck out. Lee, the kid was only six years old in the movie. They couldn't have been too attached to her. Lee. So, of course, we see that the parapsychologists have set up TV cameras and, you know, video cameras to try and capture any anomalies that's going on. And, you know, they're, they're ready to start recording all the stuff because they really want to make sure that what they're, what the Freelings are actually saying is actually true. You know, a lot of documented cases where there's been, you know, there are these so-called paranormal, you know, episodes and things like that. And it's turned out to be a complete and utter farce and false and stuff like that so they really need to know what they're dealing with and what's going to happen so they turn on the tv and of course it starts with a broadcast and, and of course um, this is when diane goes well you know that's all well and good but she changes it to a station which is not there and it's just you know snow basically and says well, i don't know what you you know <laughs> this is we just get better reception on this channel if we just um have it on here now it's interesting that there are old tv you know, remember the old tv um stations where there was nothing there you just saw a whole lot of, lot of snow but you could actually in 
you know, every now and again you could hear sounds coming out of the TV. That could be things like CB radios of people around the neighborhood. It could be shortwave radios. It could be anything that you could actually hear. I mean, I remember one time I was switching channels and I heard my mother's radio station on the TV. And I thought, oh, this is really cool. I've got a radio station on the television set. I need to find out that my mum had a radio on in the kitchen downstairs. And of course, that's what the TV was picking up. So it's it's one of those things that could pick up anything. So she turns on the TV and actually has the, just the snow going and says to Dr. Lesh, well, you know, I guess we're going to start this whole thing of trying to find where Caroline is. And Dr. Lesh needs to have some sort of documented evidence as you know, where Caroline is, what can we do to try and get her back? So this is the beginning of the very first time that they try to find where Caroline is. Well, I guess I'll call her. Caroline, uh, it's Mommy, sweetheart. Uh, we want to talk to you. Please talk to me, Bunny. Look at the door. Are you with us now? Can you, can you say hello to Daddy? Help her! Let's... Let's... 
course at this stage that Marty had gone upstairs because when Dr. Lesh had said, well, you know, go and check the house to see if there's any CB um, radios going on. He runs upstairs and he goes into the kid's bedroom and we hear that sound where, you know, there's just thump, thumping going on around the place. And then all of a sudden, you know, as Diane is starting to walk up the stairs, there's this almighty wind that goes through her. And she's like, oh, my God, that's my... And we can say... We don't obviously can smell it, but obviously we see here that uh, she can smell Carol Ann all over her. And then all of a sudden we hear another wind coming down the, the stairs with this almighty growl and it knocks back everyone <laughs> into the into the, the living room and Marty runs downstairs and he's like you know um something took a bite out of me and Robbie's like he got bit and he's like yeah either that or the worst muscle spasm ever and he lifts up his shirt and there's there's seriously teeth marks around him and because Robbie's like oh wow and he's because Dr. Lesh is like yeah I think we're gonna sleep down here tonight and of course this is when Steve goes listen I, I want everyone to be out of this house I, you know he goes over to Diane and says I want you to take the kids and go stay in town and she's like I'm not going anywhere until I get my daughter back and in all honesty yeah I believe that too I wouldn't be leaving the house for whatever the hell was going on so you know everyone is now really panicking of well, what can we do we've got no idea I think Dr. Lesh is way way over her head she doesn't really know what to do either so we see that as the night is progressing and you know people are falling asleep you know we're, we're now seeing that somewhere during the night the her the um Diane has called her mother and has said, "Can we get the kids to stay at your house? Because something is really going on." And of course, um, Dana, um, she's basically going off to you know stay with her friend. So we really need to just get Robbie out of the house. And um, we do see in the scene that a taxi pulls up and Robbie gets into the car and he drives away to his grandmother's house with Ebuzz. So we now have that uh, that you know, scenario out of the way. So now we've just got really. Diane and we've got Steve in the house and we've got Dr. Lesh and the others. Now, one thing I find very interesting about because at one stage when the whole thing has happened, you know, where um, before Robbie actually leaves the house, during the night we've got the, the video cameras, they're trained to automatically pick up any movement around the house. And uh, Ryan and Marty are sitting downstairs and everyone else is asleep. And Ryan is having a great time just... Oh, was it Ryan? No, it's Marty, the white guy, Marty. He's sitting there and he's just having a, a bit of something to eat. And he goes over to Ryan and he says, um, so I'm just going to go in and get something to eat into the kitchen. Now, if you have got a serious you know, investigation of poltergeist activity or whatever, I don't think it really means that you've got free reign of the house. So he goes into the kitchen and he... now. But most people would sit there and go, this is why he deserves to get his ass kicked in this way. Because instead of going to get maybe a bag of chips or whatever, because maybe Diana said, look, you know, help yourself to anything in the house. But I think broiling a an entire huge steak at like two o'clock in the morning is overstepping the boundary just a little bit because he pulls out this big friggin' steak. Now, he then pulls out a pan, so he's going to pan-fry this in the kitchen, which is going to smoke up the joint, which is going to wake up a whole lot of people because this idiot is pan-frying this huge friggin' steak. And I think that's this really... I mean, that is really making it a little bit... You're too comfortable in someone else's house. But, of course, when he goes into the into the fridge, he also grabs a bit of chicken, and he's eating a bit of chicken too. So he's going to have a great old feast in the kitchen. Of course, at this stage, he puts the the um, steak onto the bench top because he's you know he's going to be getting a pan out of the out of the thing because he's going to start broiling and having a great time. But of course, then he hears 
something's moving behind him and he's got a flashlight and he turns around and he sees that there is the stake that's moving now the practical effects of this you sit there and go okay yeah practical effects it's sort of working but it's at this stage that the the um the stake pops open and all these maggots come out of the stake he spits the the chicken out onto the ground he puts the light onto the chicken and then there's maggots coming out of the chicken too he then goes into a, a washroom and tries to wash up and now this is the practical effect that is doesn't doesn't hold up now because he starts to see something on his face and you can see it's prosthetics and he basically rips his entire face apart and then there's a huge you know, flash of light and he's back and there's there's nothing wrong with him and there's nothing wrong with the chicken there's nothing wrong with the steak so really the practical effect of this one is sort of like mm, yeah it's not going to hold up you know now or in the future it's just one of those yeah okay it it worked in two uh, in 1982 so once again as i said it's at this stage that you know the morning comes and this is when dr lesh says well i've got to go back to the <laughs> the lab i'm going to take because i've got to take all this evidence back with me and i need some help so of course as we know robbie's now being sent away to go and stay with his grandmother because this whole thing is getting way way out of control and you don't want a young child being around this this environment and dana well she's gone to stay with friends so really we're now clear of the house and of course it's at this stage that we also see mr teague who happens to be steve's boss and he comes over to see what steve's up to because he hasn't been at work for a good couple of weeks and you know he, he says to steve wow you look horrible and he goes you still got the flu and he's like oh yeah i've got really sick i can't really shake whatever i've got and uh you know, Mr. Teague sees a whole lot of electrical equipment, you know, in the house and things are moving. But of course, there's Steve trying to usher him out of the house to make sure that he doesn't see things that are moving and getting really weird. And, he, and of course, this is when Mr. Teague says, well, you know, would you like to come and you know, take a take a drive with me? I need to show you something. And the next scene we see is we're on top of a hill and uh, Mr. Teague is just talking about the fact that, oh, you know, everyone's sick in the house. And he's like, yep. Yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah, because... I've heard that, you know, Carol Ann's not very well. She's in the same nursery class as my daughter and, you know, she hasn't been there and, you know, I didn't see her. And, of course, Steve's like, oh, yeah, she's been around. She, she's around the house. And, you know, w with everything that's going on, I love how Steve says, how can anyone have a problem on a day like today? Because it's absolutely beautiful. Now, he's on top of this marvellous hill and he can see over the valley with all the people that are, that are living there. And this is when Mr. Teague offers him a very interesting sort of deal. But there's a... a bit of a strange situation that's also going on with this uh, this deal that Mr. Teague is offering him. How's that spot for a bay window? Eh? Yeah, well, it's pretty nice if, if you're living up here, but uh, not so great down there in the valley having to look at a bunch of homes cutting into the hillside. Well, you don't have to live in the valley anymore. What are you saying? We're starting phase five right here where we're standing. All of this can be your master bedroom suite. That can be your view. Interested? Well, Mr. Teague, you know, that's a generous offer. Uh, I, I'm just You're not a responsible developer. responsible for 42% of sales. That's almost half of everything down there. Almost $70 million worth of dwelling and properties. Now, that's a whole generation of security that nobody can put a price tag on. Now, look, <laughs> I know we should have made you a full partner three years ago. Well, I don't want to lose you now. How much room for pool is there? We own all the land. We've already made arrangements for relocating the cemetery. Oh, you're kidding. 
Oh, come on. I mean, that's sacrilegious, isn't it? Oh, don't worry about it. After all, it's not ancient tribal burial ground. It's just people. Besides, we've done it before. When? In 76. Right down there. Mr. Verdi? All 300 acres, and let me tell you, it was quite a deal. No, no, but I never heard anything about it, though. Well, it's not the sort of thing one goes around advertising on a billboard or on the side of a bus. What are you worried about? Friends and relatives can visit their loved ones in Broxton Memorial Park. It's only five minutes further, for Christ's sake. Oh, yeah, well, five minutes, you know, that's, that's no great hardship. And I suppose I'd be okay. Okay with who? Whomever might complain. Nobody's complained until now. So, of course, that last little bit of stuff that you actually heard was when he says there's not much room for a pool. You know, there is a cemetery right behind where his house would be. So, you know, really, you'd walk out of your back uh, door and you'd hit the cemetery right then and there. So with him saying, oh, we can relocate the cemetery, there's something really fishy going on with this this whole scenario of something happened in Cuesta Verde back, you know, in uh, in 76. So we're just going to leave that scene as it is because it's going to play, it's going to come back pretty soon. Now we're actually seeing that Tangina, which is Tangina Berry, is being brought in with uh, Dr. Lesh. Now, Dr. Lesh is definitely needs some help. So Tangina is a psychic medium, and she's able to pick up frequencies, as in spiritual frequencies, and she's been responsible for cleaning many houses. We are told she's able to clean many houses of psychic um, phenomena and disturbances. So we are now seeing that she's being guided through the house to um, let's start to find out what's going on, where Caroline is, and how the hell are we going to get her back? We've had two experiences in the kitchen. Uh, this is the den. Do you mind hanging back? You're jamming my frequencies. Side of the rainbow are we working tonight, Dr. Lash? Is this your Knott's Berry Farm solution? I know what you're thinking, but you must take my word for it. She's cleaned many houses. Her gifts have been documented. Look, you know, we haven't heard Caroline since last night. Why is this door locked, Mr. Freeling? Answer her, Stephen. I am. I am addressing the living. I'm sorry, sorry. That's the room my son and daughter used to occupy. We believe it's the heart of the house. This house has many hearts. What is the matter? What's the matter? <laughs> I 
was trying to answer her with my mind, and she couldn't hear me. No, I thought you said this tinging appearance was an extraordinary clairvoyant. I I just don't like trick answers. I love it how Tangina says I don't like trick answers. So you can only imagine what Steve is trying to say as far as an answer. But, you know, it's almost like he's not even taking this seriously anymore. He's so delusional with everything that's going on. He's trying to make a bit of a joke of it. And really, you know, when you see that Dr. Lesh is trying to get this thing sorted out and she's gone to the trouble of finding this this psychic medium, you'd have to think you've got to really put yourself into the hands of this woman to help you out because you don't know where the hell Carol Ann is. You can rip the house apart. She's not going to be there. Or, you know, you keep hearing all the, 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 the banging and all the noise and you can't go into the kid's bedroom and, you know, you've had to move one of the kids out to the grandmother's house, the other kid's staying away at friends. So what else are you going to do? You can't wander around going, well, so what the hell do I do? So you really need some outside help. Dr. Lesh is way too inexperienced for this. So I love this scene in which, you know, after she's walked through the house and she's seen... Yeah, this is when Tangina basically sits to sits down and wants to tell everyone what the hell is going on. Come here, honey. And give me your hand. I'm not gonna bite you. Come on down here. You're gonna give me a whiplash looking up at you. incident in the bi-location? Terrible distraction from the real white. 
we see some preparations going on so we've got tennis balls we've got a rope we've got a bathtub full of water and the 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 rope is is going to be basically to hold one of the people onto this world so when they go into the light to actually grab carol ann they're not going to slip away from them and be lost forever the tennis balls are in in essence going to see if the portal that is actually had manifested in the living room is still open and the bath water well i'm we're guessing that the bath water is going to be used for when carol ann comes out we can actually wash her down and you know she should be fine and so i, I don't know we we never really get a true idea of why the bath water was that that you know um prevalent why we really needed the bath water but anyway we now see that tangina is now going upstairs and she's like okay let's go and get carol ann and let's basically get done with this and try and figure out where she is and let's go and get her all right call to her carol ann carol ann it's mommy can you hear me Please tell mommy hello. Try again. Can you say hello to daddy? Daddy and I miss you so much. So much. We love you so much. Please just say hello. She's under restraint. What? Who, who's restraining her? There are many arms about her. She thinks it's safe. Quickly, who is she more threatened by, you or your husband? 
Neither. Uh, Steve decides the punishment. The okay, children are. That's not fair. I've right never about it later. Stephen may Carol Ann answer you. Carol Ann? Be cross with her. She's dead. Be angry with her. You'll never see her again. Carol Ann, I want you to answer me. Tell her if she doesn't answer you, she's going to get a spanking. Oh, come on. I've never spanked a children. Honey, honey, please just tell her. Carol Ann? You answer your parents or you're going to get a real spanky from the both of us. She's away from him. Away from home? Is she all right? Diane, ask about the light. Carol Honey, do you see a light? Shh. Tell her to go to the light. No! from the very beginning. Don't give it any help. It knows too much already. Now, open the door. So, of course, at this stage we see when the door is open, there's flashing lights and stuff like that, and you know, the whole room has fallen apart at this stage. And this is when Tangina grabs the tennis balls and throws it in. Basically says to um, Dr. Lesh to get Ryan downstairs. Or, yeah, Ryan downstairs, because Marty's gone, because he ate. <laughs> he was going to eat a big goddamn steak. And uh, so he basically runs downstairs, and Tangina throws the first tennis ball into the closet, and then bang, it comes down from, you know, from the ceiling down in the in the living room so it's like oh wow the first tennis ball came through and the second and the third fantastic so then we throw the um rope into the into the um spectral light that's going on and the rope then appears down in the down in the, in the living room from the ceiling and because this is when diane says what are you doing as in you know says this to tangina and she goes i'm going in after her and she's like well she won't come to you and, and of course tangina's like and of course she's like you know let me go and Tangina goes, well, you haven't done it before. And she's like, well, yes, you haven't done this either. And she goes, yeah, good idea. You go. <laughs> so it's now a case of Stephen has to keep a hold of the rope and then, you know, make sure that, you know, she's tied off and she's still in this world. So, you know, Stephen can pull her back if need be. And so this stage that, you know, Diane then goes into the spectral light and, you know, Tangina is standing there next to Stephen and is... You know, of course, Stephen's actually asking her a legitimate question. How will we know when she's got, you know, Carol Ann? And it's at this stage that Tangina then suddenly says, you know, crossover children, all are welcome. And, you know, go to the light. And this is when Stephen goes, hang on a minute. You didn't say that. You didn't say you're supposed to go to the light. And starts to pull on the rope to pull, you know, um, Diane back. And Tangina screams at, you know, Stephen, you know, Stephen, not yet. Don't, no, no, don't do it yet. And as he's pulling this almighty face, this evil face comes out of the closet and blasts him with this, I don't know, this giant roar. And then all of a sudden you see from the ceiling into the living room, this portal open up and there is Diane's holding um, Carol Ann. They fall into the living room and they manage to get her into the bath. And of course they're wiping all this 
off his pink sludge off of Diane and off of Carol Ann. And we find that suddenly Carol Ann and Diane are completely okay. It's at this stage that they close the door on the um, bathroom and Tangina stands in front of a video in front of a video camera and says quite proudly that this house is clean. Or so we think. <laughs> The next scene we see, it's in the in the morning, and we've got a removalist van out the front, and that's it. They're packing up. They are leaving. That's it, It's all done. We're, go, we're leaving this house. And uh, we find that Mr. Teague has actually offered Steve a, uh, a partnership, and Steve's like, well, no, I'm not going to do that. And so Diane's like, well, we are definitely leaving for sure. And she's like, he's like, yeah, we certainly are. And he goes, listen, I've just got to go back to the office and uh, do a couple of things, and I'll clean up from that, and then I'll be home. And then we'll go. And she's like, well, is Mr. Teague, you know, has he taken no for an answer? And he's like, no, of course he hasn't. But I'm going to show him directions of how to take no for an answer. So we see that the house is pretty much empty except for, you know, and, and as Steve says, if the kids, you know, fall asleep, you know, just leave them in the room and I'll be home and we'll go. Now, for the love of God. OK, this is what I don't understand. The bedroom was the was this area where it all started. The closet was the area that it all started. Now you are now putting your child, Carol Ann, into the bed, and you are also putting Robbie into a bed in that room. and And Diane has decided that she wants to go and have a bit of a bath. Um, yeah, this is really. And of course, okay, you've packed up this entire room, and you got this creepy ass clown still in the room, sitting on a chair. Why did you not pack this friggin' clown? Now, Carolyn apparently has got no recollection of what actually happened to her. There's Diane. She's off having a shower or off having a bath, relaxing in the house that has been haunted. And you think that is now clean. Um, so there's Robbie and Carolyn in the bedroom with the door shut and things start to happen. Robbie is starting to fall asleep and he hears the tinkling of um, there was the, the, the clown had little bells on its feet. And of course, the clown disappears from the <laughs> from the chair that was facing Robbie. Robbie looks under on one side of the bed, can't see it. Looks under the other side of the bed, can't see it. Comes up, and there is the clown right behind him, and it's got this menacing, evil look on its face. Grabs a hold of Robbie and starts to pull him underneath the bed. It's at this stage that the um, closet starts to illuminate again, and these tentacles start coming out from either side of the door of the closet to Caroline's explanation of please not again <laughs> or no more i don't want to do this anymore robbie then brings the clown out from underneath the bed and starts to rip the shit out of the out of the um out of the clown we also see that diane has finished her bath and she's now sitting on the bed just relaxing she's done her hair and she's about to lay back and then all of a sudden she is super glued to the bed obviously whatever it is is holding her down and then she starts to go up uh, on through over the um from the wall up onto the ceiling that was the uh, movie that they actually made of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, where Nancy, uh, sorry, Nancy, Tina goes up f over the from the wall up onto the ceiling. Um, that was the same sort of uh, camera photography that they used. It was just a, ro a rotating room that they used to make it uh, look like that she is going up over the from the wall to the ceiling. As of course, at this stage, that you know the the entity is trying to keep Diane away from the um, away from the bedroom to save the children and happens to knock her down the stairs and she runs to the next door neighbor to try and find some help and as she's walking as she's running back she slips into the pool and of course we've got a bit of a fun fact about the skeletons that come out of the the water uh, with the actress she then runs back into the house and runs down towards trying to get to um, Carol Ann and Robbie's room but the entity is now stretching the house so she's got to run 
a fair distance to get into the room. As she runs into the room, she's almost sucked into a vortex because the whole room is now one giant mouth and it's sucking everything into there. And she's able to grab a hold of Robbie and Carol Ann and rescue them and try to get them tries to get them out of the house. Um, Steve then arrives back and sees the lights are flashing all over the house. So now the whole house is falling apart again. And she, he runs towards the front door, and unfortunately, as he runs towards the front door, the the ground then opens up, and we see a coffin coming up out of the ground. Same thing as when Diane and the kids are trying to go through the kitchen, there are coffins coming up out of the ground and exposing them, you know, opening up to show the the, the family that there is coffins underneath where they're built. It's at this stage that you know Steve has been dropped back from um, meeting Mr. Teague, and Mr. Teague is seeing all this going on, and it's at this stage that Steve happens to see uh, Mr. Teague and confronts him about what the fuck is going on. Son of a bitch, you moved the cemetery, but you left the bodies, didn't you? Son of a bitch, you left the bodies, and you only moved the headstones. You only moved the headstones. <laughs> So the family managed to make it around the long way from the kitchen all the way out to the front and managed to jump into the car. It's at this stage that Steve is trying to get into the family car and Dana is uh, brought back by one of her friends and she's standing there screaming what's happening. She jumps into the car and they head off just as the uh, house completely implodes in itself in a brilliant ball of white light and just disintegrates into absolutely nothingness with Mr. Teague and the... uh, uh, the neighborhood just standing there watching this house just disappear into just a vortex of nothing. We see that Steve and the family, who are completely and utterly disheveled, are now driving and they get to a motel and they're walking towards their room and they walk into the, the room and then they shut the door and you think, ah, oh, that's the end of the movie, except the door opens up and Steve wheels out the television set out into the uh, the hallway um, or onto the balcony as if to say, nah, not fucking again, no way in the hell. As they shut the door and the credits start rolling and that is the end of the original 1982 movie Poltergeist. I'm telling you, from a zero to five buckets of blood, zero being how do I get the last 144 minutes of my life back to five, it was a perfect movie, and I'd watch it all over again. It is not perfect. I wish I could say that. I wish I could say it was the most perfect movie that I could actually say, but I can't because some of the special effects and some of the practical effects just weren't there for me, unfortunately. But the storyline is solid. The acting is solid. Um, You know, the, the... effects that they do have are are fairly solid there are some as i said when you you first go into the bedroom uh when the guy is ripping his face off you know there are those sort of things you sit there and go hmm really that doesn't play all that well in 2023 now but um you know it's it's good for what it is so on a zero to five i'm going to give it a uh, i'm going to give it a four out of five because the storyline is solid and uh, i just thoroughly enjoy the movie just for the fact that it's just, yeah, it's escapism. And it is, it is, it's a really good movie. I, I, I can't find anything really bad with it. But um, yeah, I'm going to give it a four out of five. Look, before we get to the end of this podcast, we need to do Paul's Fun Facts. So 
So as usual, there are a lot of trivia and I encourage everyone to jump onto IMDb and look through the trivia. There's 146 items of trivia in this movie, but I'm only going to touch on, you know, a handful because, you know, there's just too many to read through. Now, we all know that the um, two actresses, uh, which is um, Dominique Dunn and Heather O'Rourke, did pass away. Now, Dominic Dunn plays Dana Freeling and obviously Heather O'Rourke plays Carol Ann. They are both buried in the same cemetery, which is Westwood Memorial Park in Los Angeles. On October the 30th, 1982, uh, Dominique was strangled by her ex-boyfriend in a driveway of her West Hollywood home. She died on November the 4th at age 22, never having regained consciousness. And October, and sorry, on February the 1st, 1988, Heather O'Rourke died of intestinal stenosis at the age of 12. So there is a lot of um, bad juju, as they say, that's hanging over this movie. Now, both the terrors that plagued Robbie came from Steven Spielberg's own fears as a child. One, a fear of clowns, and two, a tree outside of his window, which, you know, I understand that. I mean, that, that that's a great thing to put into your movie. Now, this is the little, and I'm sure that everyone who's seen this movie has actually found out this fun fact, but I'll just tell you right now, just in case you don't know, Real human skeletons were used in the swimming pool scene since the crew decided it would be too complicated and expensive to get fake ones. Jo Beth Williams, who plays the mother, was not made aware of this until after the scene was finished. So it's like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Now, during all the horrors that proceeded while filming Poltergeist, only one scene really scared Heather O'Rourke. That in which she holds under the headboard while a wind machine blew toys into her into the closet behind her. The young actress absolutely fell apart and the producer, Steven Spielberg, stopped everything, took her in his arms and said that he, she would not have to do that scene again. I mean, thank goodness, that's that's wonderful. Now, I didn't realise that there was, an, it was a near miss in this movie as well. So when Robbie, this is around an hour and 35 minutes of the movie, so when Robbie's being strangled by the clown's arm, it became extremely tight and Robbins started to choke. That's Robbie's, uh, that's Robbie started to choke. When he screams out, I can't breathe, Steven Spielberg and Toby Hooper thought that the boy was ad-libbing and just instructed him to look at the camera. When Spielberg saw Robin's face turning purple, he ran over and removed the clown's arm from Robin's neck. I mean, it's like, holy crap, that was a near miss and a half. But yeah, I mean, sometimes you think that, you know, these actors can just, you know, pull these great dialogues from, from anywhere. I mean, it's the same way as... um. If you see The Exorcist, where she's saying, you know, it's burning, it's burning. That's not, that's not, you know, part of the movie as far as part of the script. That's ad-libbed. You know, she was actually being thrown around that bed so hard that um, she was actually in a lot of pain. So, you know, when him he's saying, you know, I can't breathe, that's, that's real. So the house that was used to film in this movie is located in Simi Valley, California, where it still stands today. So if you're in California, take a drive up to Simi Valley and have a look at the house. The family who owned it sold it in May 2009. So it also shows you that, you know, producers have to be very careful of what they do in movies because at around 34 minutes, there's a jump cut from the scene where Diane is, Diane is explaining to Steve about the feeling you get when the spirits pull you across the floor. The scene jumps mid-sentence to the scene where they are both on their neighbor's doorstep again in mid-sentence. The reason for the cut was because in the original scene, Stephen says how he hates Pizza Hut. 
The scene was edited rather than crudely, rather crudely, I should say, after Pizza Hut took offence. <laughs> because he, she does say, we'll get Pizza Hut, you know. And obviously he does say he hates Pizza Hut. So, you know, obviously they took offence. So, yep, we got we to get it out of the movie. So just a couple more to finish off. Now, I love this one. So there was a direct TV commercial in 2008 that affectionately parodied the film. Craig T. Nelson reprised the role of Steve Freeling complaining to Carol Ann and the audience that the static on the TV set is just bad cable reception and quips not getting rid of cable. That's going to come back to haunt me. Heather O'Rourke's family was pleased with the ad for keeping her memory alive. So I love that fact that he just redid his you know, his role. I think that's wonderful. And you know, Heather O'Rourke died way, way too soon. And just one final one. And this one is a bit of practical effects that I think is actually not too bad. I mean, it doesn't hold up now in 2023, but it's not too bad. So the crawling stake was done by using a real stake, which was laid over a slot cut between the tiles in the countertop. Two wires were fastened to the bottom of the stake and a special effects operator hidden under the counter simply moved the wires to make the stake crawl like a caterpillar. Well, that makes sense. A similar operation was done when Diane presents to Stephen that the chairs move across the floor by themselves. A wire was fastened to one of the chair's legs under the set. The operator first wobbled the chair with the wire, then dragged the chair across to its destination. So, as I said, it's it's not too bad as far as the, the practical effects go. I think the chair is a little bit more, is a little bit better than the practical effects of the stake. But you know, it all works in the end. And for 1982, this was the height of uh, te technical special effects, anyway. So. But anyway, thank you very much once again for coming to visit me at the Horror Crypt Podcast. I hope you like the trivia because I, I find it's very interesting when I'm going through finding a little bits of trivia that we can talk about. So look, if you want to get in touch with me, horrorcrypt2022 at gmail.com. You can also join the um, Facebook um, family, which is Horror Crypt Cafe, where we can get to know each other and you can give me suggestions of what we're going to be doing. There's there's uh, listener polls and things like that we can uh, talk about. So there's a whole, <coughs> a whole lot of ways pardon me a whole lot of ways in which we can get in contact with each other but look next week we're going to be doing the well the remake of this movie which is poltergeist i'm hoping for the best and i'm expecting the worst <laughs> i actually have seen the movie once and it's so unmemorable that i can't even remember what it was all about so i've got to go back and watch it next week but that is going to be back to back and then of course you know we're going to continue on with our horror crypt podcast but in the meantime thank you very much once again for coming to visit me and i say like i say every single week i'll creep you later Thank you.